Hey, before we start, we want to let you all know that we're doing another live show. It's going to be on Wednesday, March 20th at 7 p.m. at the Lee Strasberg Theater in West Hollywood. We're going to have a casting panel where we're going to speak to TV, film, and commercial casting directors about how to get great actors into your work. We'll cover audition techniques from both director and actor sides and learn what directors can do to find the perfect actors for their projects. And we're also going to have refreshments and lots of schmoozing time. Tickets are free for any patron tier on Patreon. Or it's just five bucks on Eventbrite. But seating is limited, so make sure you get your tickets. Check it out at live.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the 303rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons John Mailer and Robbie Ride. Thanks uh, for both getting hats, being in our hat tier. Uh, I think one of you might have snuck in right before we changed the price, so thank you. Uh, I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today, it's a Matt and Oren episode. We've got a few listener questions, uh, a little bit of catch-up, and also kind of a big, broad topic. And that's the question of, uh, do you need to live in Los Angeles to be a filmmaker in 2022 edition? Yeah. Yeah. We um, covered this topic ad nauseum, and the answer was always yes. Absolutely yes. I mean, you don't need to, but it was yes, like... Yes, yes. A thousand times yes. <laughs> the Yeah. And now it's a little more complicated than that, so we're going to dig into it. Yeah. Spoiler alert. The answer is no, but maybe yes. It's a more nuanced um, answer this time around rather than like, uh, no dub, do it. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about other things. But before we get to any of that stuff, I'm dying to know, Matt, what have you been working on lately? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I just shot a, a new spot that uh, uh, we're hopping into post on. Um, uh, it's going to be super fun. I shot it over this last weekend due to some client availabilities, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm coming out, out of it fresh. But what's interesting about this one is that for various reasons, we decided to shoot it on an iPhone. The most uh, important reason, I think, is that it, it was meant to feel like to influencer, vlogger, UGC, user-generated content type people were creating the video themselves. So it was um, not because you forgot to bring the camera. I did not forget like, to bring uh, the camera, no. Melanie, did you go to the camera house? Nope. Um, and this is a, it's an increasingly popular thing. I did another campaign for a big car brand where one of the characters was meant to be an influencer and we intercut her footage, the footage that she was shooting on her phone as well. So this isn't my first time uh, shooting with iPhones or any sort of phone. And I thought we could unpack it a little bit, talk about it a little bit. Orin, you've done that as well, right? Have you shot things on phones that are meant to look like phones? I know the reverse is true where every once in a while you'll shoot something on your phone and then it'll end up in the spot. I mean, the, the um, problem with me personally is my cinematographical instincts are just so absurdly good that I can't shoot anything that doesn't look cinematic Incredible. on my mm -hmm. iPhone. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. No, but uh, obviously I'm joking. Um, have I shot stuff? Yeah, I've shot a lot of stuff where it's like, you know, our ACAM is an Alexa or whatever, red, mm -hmm. and we're shooting someone holding their phone, and then we want to cut to what they're the filming. Footage of the, right. Yeah, and yeah. we use that. And... It's funny, I did this uh, campaign, that Godzilla thing, mm -hmm. and we, there was a, it was like Godzilla's on set and he's like losing his shit and like the whole crew is filming him being, going like, ballistic. And so we had, uh, you know, our grip uh, guy like holding a phone and filming Godzilla and I just wanted to give the phone to the actor 
to mm-hmm. film Godzilla. And of course, our cinematographer, uh, who might be listening to this. Kind of mad about it. Yeah. Not only kind of mad about it, he's like, well, look, if we're going to film with the iPhone, we need to use Filmic Pro. Mm-hmm. We need to shoot mm-hmm. 24p. There's going to be all mm-hmm. these sync issues. We're mm-hmm. going to need to shoot like the best quality possible, the best bit rate, the mm-hmm. best, all, all that stuff. And I was like, okay, but I kind of just want it to look like an iPhone. So the compromise was the actor gets shot it, you know, some takes, and then we did one last take. And then take. you had a safety with the, yeah, with the, cinematographer. the cinematographer. So so this is a thing that I think it, we're doing more and more, and I think especially commercials, There's a, it's very trendy to have stuff that's meant to feel like a TikTok or influenced by TikTok or whatever. And so over the years, I've, I've kind of developed a few pretty hard rules about what I think is good, quote unquote, social content in this sort of category. And people don't always agree with me. I think it's it's um, a kind of a funny and sort of controversial thing. But it, but it kind of comes from all of those conversations that you were talking about before. Because like people will be like, well, you could just like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll use the Alexa and we'll plan on cropping the sides off so it looks vertical. And it'll be on the, the cinematographer's shoulder. They'll be operating. But we'll just have the actor put their hand on the cage right. so it Pretend looks they're like they're yeah, pretending they're holding it. And uh, I've done that so many times. And the Filmic Pro thing, <laughs> basically you learn that there's a lot of little uh, notches, little steps, degrees in between truly faking it using a cinema grade camera with fancy lenses and all that stuff all the way down to just literally using your phone. And yeah, it's the, literally never good any fake way. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Literally never good. What it comes down to is deciding what good, quote unquote, means to you, right? And so cinematographers tend to believe that good is a clean, high-resolution image that has enough latitude with their bit rate and with their color space to grade it the way they want it to and that all of the camera movement is fluid and that things are framed well, et cetera, et cetera. All of the kind of the the cornerstones of good cinematography, quote unquote, are, you know, baked into them uh, from a young age. And I kind of constantly am like trying to buck against just the idea of good and under these circumstances, because to your point, Oren, good in this case means accurate to the images that we are used to seeing every single day, nonstop for the last 10 years. We look at stuff that's shot on phones nonstop. So we subliminally understand the way that its lens looks, the way that it shifts white balance all over the place, the way it shifts exposure, the algorithm that's recoloring everything on the fly, all of that stuff we've just internalized. And so you can recognize when it's fake. The weight of the camera, the way an actor moves it around, all of that stuff, we just have been trained nonstop for literally a decade to recognize it instantly. So anything that takes you even a baby step away from that, in my mind, is less good. Yeah. I mean, I, I have things that I'm willing to compromise on. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care for the white balance or exposure shifts or super blown out highlights. Like, I, I, I But I believe that on the iPhone, you can lock the white balance and you can lock the exposure. And so those two things I I think are Mm -hmm. because you can do it just as a, you know, with the regular camera app, 
I think they're acceptable things to do that do make the image look better. Mm-hmm. And I do like shooting, you know, in 4K or. Mm-hmm. You see, you said better, right? Yes. That's what I'm saying. I think that, like, again, it's what what does better really mean? Oh, right. Well, uh, I guess to me it's just, like, not distracting. But the funny thing is, well, so there are a couple movies that come to mind that had a lot of, like, kind of, you know, DIY, like, uh, found footage. Obviously, there's, like, (laughs) Blair Witch. uh, But even, like, Chronicle or... um, And I think Blair Witch was actually very found. Like, they shot it on film and, you know... Yeah, yeah. that's not a good company yeah. more but like Clo- cloverfield maybe yeah cloverfield like, and chronicle yeah. are the two where you know i think you can shoot on a uh, red or an alexa or something or venice with zoom lenses uh and and fake that as like a camcorder you know mm-hmm. uh so i think that's okay and then also the truth is i think most influencers at least the ones that i watch on mm-hmm. youtube don't shoot on phones a lot of them yeah, shoot with the sony a7s DSLRs. yeah yeah uh or a handy cam of some sort. Yeah, DSLRs. So it's not like uh, it has to be a phone, um, but there is a difference between an Alexa with Master Primes or these like super mm-hmm. heavy lenses uh, that makes a difference. And so to me, th- those are the, there's there's kind of three main things, and I'm just arbitrarily saying that. So I hope it adds up to three. But number one that you mentioned is the movement, like the mm-hmm. movement of the camera and how where you can put it and how you hold it, uh, is, is huge. That's just the thing that an Alexa is never going to look like an iPhone or even like a DSLR. Number two is autofocus. As much as cinematographers hate autofocus, it's actually incredibly useful when you're shooting yourself, you know, when you're walking into a room and you turn the camera and you say, look at this wall and then come back to my face. Uh, you need the autofocus to work and having an AC and all these other people involved that are anticipating the focus racks, I think makes it feel fake. And then, yeah, third well, of and, all, and most I, of the time, if it's truly a phone, everything's in focus. Yeah. I yeah, mean, you yeah. know, obviously there's the cinema mode and stuff and, sure, and the sure. iPhone 13 there. Yeah. And, and, and the there algorithm are, is blurring things, but for the most part, no, but there's like a ma- macro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to some to some degree, but there's also just from a performance standpoint, there's a difference between a person holding the phone and interacting with it and being in control of the shot and somebody like putting their hand on a map mm-hmm. box and pretending yeah. to do it in that dance that you need to do with the camera operator and the and the performer. So I think those three things are why I would choose the phone over the camera. And actually, I just did all these things for Disney World a few months ago where it was supposed to look like uh, this mm-hmm. mom was filming herself and her family. And we shot it on the the compromise with the DP was like, we'll shoot on the Sony a7S III. Mm-hmm. We rigged it vertically, so it's a 9 by 16 frame. And it was okay. It was fine. But I felt like I, I even did the rehearsals with the phone because I wanted the mm-hmm. actor... I wanted to see where she would move it and how she would hold it and how she would feel about it. But the one the one thing that's hard with the phone is lighting, not in terms of making the light look good, but in terms of keeping light stands and light fixtures out of the mm-hmm. shot. Mm-hmm. Crew members, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So when you have a camera operator that is uh, keeping, making sure that the bad things aren't entering frame, it's helpful. But, but yeah, I love, I, you know, I love the iPhone. I love like... Mm-hmm. I, I love the image it 
makes I think it's the, there are some issues with the frame rates like these that are inconsistent with themselves and sometimes audio sync issues but in general I just think it's like such a cool uh, yeah tool but- and I think it's way more stable than it's literally as, more stable than a, the best steady cam I've seen <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> yeah again I think like you know we're talking about two different things though right like there's there's good in terms of cinematic quality and then there's verisimilitude to what uh, is is self-shot. And I guess I just am saying that over the years, I've just decided, just don't fake it. Just get, if you want it to be a camcorder, just pull out a camcorder. Just go rent one. You know, there are places that have them and you can source them. And yeah, it's a pain in the butt, but like the limitations of that sensor, for instance, or the speed of the zoom or all of that stuff, you know, you just spend so much time trying to figure out how to replicate it then unless there's a genuinely good reason you should just use the real thing and so that brings me to my second point that i think is worth talking about is that especially in like a um commercial environment where there are multiple stakeholders a lot of people need to be seeing the image that you're creating it's not as simple as just like looking over somebody's shoulder uh shooting on a phone is in many ways much harder from a logistical standpoint than just renting a regular old camera that you can then wire up and transmit the feed to remote clients and video village and hair and makeup and all the other people who need to just be keeping an eye on the image. It's uh, it's a lot. You know, you end up spending a lot of money on all of that camera support. Either you're lucky and you've had producers who uh, have done these shoots before and realize like, oh no, it's not something to underestimate. But it's, it would be simple for someone who hasn't done them before to think that they don't need as many ACs or as many people like all the, all of the support elements basically of like keeping things charged, swapping batteries, keeping an eye on things, downloading media takes a long time and really getting that image out to other people is a, is a yeah, pain. that, that is the one thing that those, those cameras and phones don't have is the monitoring capabilities. And I know there's like a lot of different pieces of software and tricks and ways to get Mm -hmm. around it. And I've worked with systems where as soon as you hit stop, it uploads the file to like some Mm -hmm. cloud Mm -hmm. service, but well, there that just requires an expert to be monitoring it because it's going to glitch out halfway through the day. Yeah. But six people in Chicago who need to see it or whatever. Yeah. But you're saving camera assistant and stuff or like no one needs to pull focus right so maybe that person is sure is there but right but i'm saying it would be easy as a producer to be like oh well no one's pulling focus so i can cut that person i will say especially on a commercial if it's kind of a short form like a 30 second commercial or something it's not the end of the world to do a take or two and then walk over to the client and just play it back right off the phone and have people see it Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. it's not you, you don't get the the detail that you would get on a big monitor that everyone's watching. But mm-hmm. yeah, you, I, I will, you know, honestly I've, I've used a uh, airplay with a Apple oh, yeah. TV and that I think is maybe the best solution. It gets a little tricky with 4k and you know, there are problems here and there, but um, on that, that, uh, that car job that I did, that's, that was our solution. It worked great. Yeah. That's cool. I, I do want to rewind a, a hair for a second, though, about, you know, I think there there are two things here. The thing I think that you're talking about is whether something feels authentic, you know, whether we can cheat mm-hmm. and in, like somebody shooting with the phone, 
with a much mm -hmm. bigger, more expensive cinema camera. Um, but to me, to me, that that is like the question that we had like five years ago. You know, Jordan Brady always talks about it. it's like if we want to do a hidden camera, security camera shot. Let's just get a real security camera and shoot it on that. And, you mm -hmm. know, if we wanted to have a VHS look, let's get an old like VHS camera. So to me, that that's one thing, the authenticity. But the other thing that has become actually more important to me than the authenticity, mainly due to the fact that everyone is shooting on everything, it doesn't really matter, um, is the just the physicality of the camera. And when I did mm -hmm. stuff, you know, at Disney World, when I did stuff just now, I did this campaign in Missouri, kind of a tourism campaign. The reason my iPhone shots end up making it into the cut is because I can mm -hmm. run around with that iPhone and I can take the actors aside mm -hmm. and I can do all these shots so fast and so nimbly and I can move it and we can laugh and be silly. And um, mm -hmm. from, a, from a, like a docu style uh, approach, it's just so much easier to get dynamic shots. And I remember talking to my DP and he was, I showed him, I was like, look at this cool shot of whatever. Some people having like a lightsaber fight in the, in front of the millennium Falcon or something. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, like honestly, for us to get that same shot, we would need like a Dutch head, a jib arm, mm -hmm. a this, a that. Mm -hmm. Like, and he was he was actually kind of yeah. bummed because I felt like he was like, yeah, your shot is just like way more dynamic than my it's shot. It's cool. Also, like the they're so small and so light that like, you know, there were shots where, you know, we had like a gimbal and this and that. And I was like talking to the DP and I was like, okay, I wanted to start here and fly through their arms as it's spinning on a corkscrew and then pan up to the sky or whatever. And it was like, oh, none of this gear works, but you could just do do that with your hand like you just showed yeah, me. Just <laughs> And that's what we just did. Helmet cam it. Just stick yeah. it on your head and run around. <laughs> yeah, truly though. Truly. Like that's um, Did you shoot on the iPhone 13 Pro? We did. Yeah, yeah. So so and I was pretty specific about that because uh, I love that wide angle and I love the the macro capabilities. And so we did some product shots that would be impossible or would take a T-Rex or some sort of periscope rig or a probe or something like that. What's a T-Rex? Um, I'm not familiar with that one. A T-Rex is like a periscope. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So so basically if your camera is, you know, big, big and bulky and you want to get a bug's eye view, if you want to get basically scraping the floor, you can get a rig that is a network of mirrors basically in tubes to get it so that the lens is feels much lower down than it is um it's great for shooting uh, animals for instance which is how i know about it but um and also i'm sure people have seen the the probe lens which is relatively new in the grand scheme of things but is all over like instagram and stuff and like is long and narrow and so you can stick it into a bottle mm -hmm. or a butt you know Sure. Yeah, my proctologist yeah, yeah, loves them. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's um, <laughs> it's a probe. I have thought about like uh, you know, they have like those um fiber like um, flexible cameras that like you'll get ads for like yeah, you know, clean your ear out with this <laughs> yeah. camera. They use them like, for like plumbing. Did I use yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that could be incredible. Um, wait. So, did you shoot vertically for your shoot? We did not. We shot horizontally, and we also shot twenty four frames a second, which I have mixed feelings about. I on kind of wanted the the phone on an iPhone. It, it defaults to thirty. You can change it to twenty four. No, not problem. in four K, right? Um, oh, actually, maybe you can in four K. Uh, yeah, just not in cinema can, mode. You can in, 4K. in the cinematic mode. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I didn't shoot cinematic mode at all. Right. Yeah. But the the thought process, and this is the last we can all say about it, uh, the it was important that it was iPhones because you could see the characters using their phones. Like there's mirrors? It's, no, there were two characters, yeah. each vlogging. So one had a gimbal and the other had, so one was in selfie mode sometimes and the other one had the gimbal. So it was like, you know, they, they had their phones out all the time. The thought process became, what would these characters do? Would they download Fimic Pro? Would they change it from 30 to 24 frames a second? Would they shoot in 4K or 1080? You know, that sort of stuff, basically. And because they were meant to be, you know, the kind of vloggers that are nerdy and did, you know, go buy, a, you know, a, a gimbal, for instance, at Best Buy or whatever, it would be okay for them to change it to 24. Yeah. That's how I justified it. Yeah. I feel like that stuff is okay, too. I remember... But to me though it's all it's all the fabric of like it's all subliminal like it's the same sort of argument as like does any of this really matter <laughs> and it's kind of like well yes and no what's funny to me is like in a pre-pro meeting you know so we have these meetings right mm-hmm. before we shoot commercials to tell the client what our plan is and you know we try to impress mm-hmm. them with like we have this awesome camera that they shot golden eye with or whatever mm-hmm. you know um like you can it's equally easy to sell we're shooting on an iphone as it is we're shooting on an alexa like you can (laughs) like i've said both of these things in those meetings and it's usually gone over pretty well which is i've said and we're gonna make this super authentic you know they would shoot on iphones we're gonna shoot on iphones it's gonna be so real we there's a subliminal thing where you can feel it you know you know you Mm -hmm. we're all it's like so ubiquitous that like we're we're gonna take the real tool, we're gonna get the best version of it, but it's gonna be awesome. We're gonna shoot a lot of takes, we can still edit it, we can still fix it, but it's gonna feel so real and so raw and so natural, right? That's why we're shooting on iPhones. And you can just as easily say, like, like, look, the reality is we're making premium content here, right? We're making this is mm-hmm. gonna be you mm-hmm. want people to buy Coca-Cola and so we want that We're not skipping. Yeah, we on want the it image. to be yeah, that yeah. Coke red to be red. We're not we're not gonna gamble it on like some random smartphone image mm-hmm. that turns the red orange or whatever you know mm-hmm. um yeah so this is this is an authentic image just elevated yeah 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 honestly though that's evidence of your <laughs> your level of experience of how many times you've gone through a meeting like this um but i think that the creative should drive it right i think there's definitely plenty of circumstances where it's totally fine to you know um intercut like mix the media or let it all be a cinema camera or let it all be a phone um and it just depends on uh what the creative is asking for basically and what what i chafe at is when we're trying to do one thing but because of some internalized standards of what good is or isn't harm the image in order to make it adhere to those standards yeah yeah and i think you know we all we all know this but at the end of the day good is the camera is just like one tiny part of what makes something good or not and you know if you have the performances and the script and story and Mm -hmm. whatever you know the making something that piques people's interest just like it doesn't yes far far more important yeah yeah yeah. but i guess what i'm saying is like it's equally easy to set it at 24 or 30 frames per second 
And our job is to sweat the details. Our job is to think through and improve in any way we can any of those things. We're not spending any extra money. Now let's take a quick word from a potential sponsor and we'll be back with our main topic. Okay, Matt, we got a question from a listener named Kyle Fossey. Mm -hmm. Hey, Kyle, thanks for writing us. Uh, If you have a question, if you want to be like Kyle, uh, drop us a line at justshootitpod at gmail.com. Yeah, so Kyle asked us a question and it was, I live about three to four hours outside of New York City, and I feel like I'm at the point where I can begin directing small-time commercials. With New York being such a big market, I was wondering if there's any chance production companies would be looking to hire directors from the surrounding areas, or are there so many people working that they're only interested in hiring locals? My thought is that it would be easy enough to do pre-production meetings via Zoom before driving down to the city for a few days to direct. Does that ever happen? If so, what would be the first steps in reaching out? Love this question. So many things to unpack here. There's kind of two big parts that I think we need to to address. The first being... Do you need to live in New York City? Do you need to to live in in New New York York City? City? And this... Right, correct. And the second being, um, how do I break into working with big market companies, basically? So I want to answer the second first, because I think the the other question, I think, leads us into the rest of the episode. So yeah, I mean, the the wonderful thing about New York is that there are going to be big old companies, big fancy agencies, big fancy production companies, the ones that we've all heard of and dreamt of. And there's also going to be, um, you know, medium-sized and smaller ones, right? And so is it going to be super competitive because there's so many talented filmmakers living in New York? Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, as we talk about on the show, if that's, if that's a deterrent for you, then stop listening to the show and go to grad school for something different, I think. Yes, <laughs> art and history. You know, yeah. Uh, philosophy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, so yeah, so I think that um, the tricky thing about that, though, is that uh, perhaps there are other opportunities outside of these competitive markets that you should go ahead and, like, level up on a little bit. And it looks like Kyle is doing that already. So that I think that you're, you're headed in the right step there. Do that work that is... Uh, available to you with your pre-existing relationships and then you know like it sounds like he's thinking about doing try and leverage that into building relationships with these other companies basically but like well I guess my point is is like you can't uh, like do the small town jobs do some really uh, which is really great work but not with fortune 500 companies and then hope to sign at one of these big production companies with the people that you really look up to. Uh, that's just a, a very big leap. And maybe you can, but I think, you know, there's there are more incremental steps in between there. Right. Agreed. I mean, so the, the thing, the reason I do think these two questions are kind of related to each other is because in, from my point of view, it really does not matter at all where you live uh, for commercial directing. Most commercial directors I know that are, Regular working commercial directors. Let me clarify: to do the work, it does not matter where you live. I'm saying I, I don't think it matters in in any capacity, and I'm gonna I'm to to get the work and to do the work. Yeah, and I'm gonna go into okay. uh, mo- most directors, many directors that we know have reps in the U.S. They have reps in mm-hmm. Europe. They have reps in mm-hmm. Canada. Some people, maybe even on this podcast, have people that are representing us in Eastern Europe and Russia, potentially Mm -hmm. Siberia. Um, Mm -hmm. So 
that alone should be the proof that where you live actually doesn't matter in terms of getting repped by a production company. And, and and to that point, there are plenty of LA directors who live in Palm Springs, who live in San Diego, who live in Arrowhead. I know, know, I know two that live in Oregon, but they are Mm -hmm. quote unquote LA based directors. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so obviously in 2022, this is different because you were kind of faking it uh, back in the day, but now there's no more faking it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You, Pretty much. So, so this is good and this is bad. Why is it good? Because you can live anywhere and work anywhere, right? You just get on an airplane. I mean, I, hoping that no government uh, entities are banning you because of where you live from flying to where mm-hmm. you need to shoot. W- with that aside, um, you can live anywhere and just fly for the shoot and then fly back. And I, I think both of us have done even remote shoots and remote scouting and remote everything. Mm-hmm. So... I actually recently had a job where they wanted to fly me out. It's kind of a complicated, long flight with many legs to go scout. And I was like, well, I just did all these things during COVID where we scouted remotely. Can you just send someone with like FaceTime and we can scout a bunch of places remotely? Like I don't actually have to be there. Save a hotel room. Yeah, and and a flight ticket. Just add all that money back into my rate, please. Thank you. So that's why it's good, right? Because you can live anywhere and work anywhere. Obviously, there's time zones and there's you might have to get on a call. So it it's a lot harder if you live in Russia and are trying to do a 3 p.m. call mm-hmm. Pacific time. But, you know, East Coast, West Coast, that's all. It doesn't really matter. Canada, Mexico, it's all fine. Yeah. Basically, in a sp- from a post-COVID era on, we'll be prepping over video chat for the majority of our jobs. Yeah, unfortunately. Um so the reason wait oh, sorry hold on pumping the brakes why do you say unfortunately uh because i like to be with people when i'm working i think oh. creativity is a lot better is a group sport and i think yeah, yeah. Uh, we have another listener question we're going to get to that that relates to this but i that's to me my my biggest like kind of downer of covid is that i mm-hmm. i think there are some geniuses thoreau style you know um, mm-hmm. that go out into the woods and write amazing novels on themselves uh, on their own. I think we're just, you know, I am uh, an introvert extrovert, which sounds like something that doesn't make any sense, but it uh, is real actually. And it took me a long time to realize this about myself, but like I'm happy to be alone or just like with me and my wife for frankly years you're a hermit and i love going to starbucks and talking to a bunch of (laughs) random people (laughs) yeah exactly and you are an extrovert right so like i'm happy to just like plunk away on my uh, you know uh screenplay and then go shoot the thing and and i'm okay with like the performance of being a director um but uh socially i'm happy to to just be alone but also like the whole reason i'm here in la and working in film is because i spent four years as an engineer in Silicon Valley Mm -hmm. working with the same five dudes every Mm -hmm. single day. And all Mm -hmm. I wanted to do was like go meet other people and have new experiences and Mm -hmm. work in different locales. And you liked those five dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They're great. It wasn't like the, like five lamos. It was like, Oh, I like you. And they're all engineers. So there's like a, (laughs) there's a maximum coolness that, I do think you are probably literally the funniest engineer. That is definitely not true. But yeah, I I craved 
like not just being with my computer all the time, even though mm -hmm. I'm a fairly technical person and I enjoy problem solving and puzzles, you know, I, I prefer mm -hmm. to do them with people than by myself. Mm -hmm. And so COVID is kind of like found a way to adapt filmmaking into a, you know, an individual sport. And mm -hmm. I find it much less fun. Uh, when I'm not with people. I and mean, that's why I love being on set and I love being on shoots and I love traveling. Um, but the pre-pro, the like treatments, the like, you know, I, I enjoy making my 3D renders of the set or whatever, uh, but I would enjoy them more if I was in a room with a bunch of people and they could come over and we, we could exchange ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyhow, long story short, I think it's, it makes it, you, you can kind of live anywhere for commercial directing. And part of the nature of commercial directing is it's like one, two, three, four days of shooting and a lot of prep and a mm -hmm. lot of post and a lot of pitching and a lot of all this other stuff that you can do remotely. It's different for a TV show or a feature where you really do need to come together for a certain period of time to, to shoot your 20 yeah. days of the feature or your, you know, few months of the TV show or whatever. So, but for commercials, that that's the plus the minus is now you're competing against every single person in the world for a in job well, to be fair that has always been the case i would say you know i think that they're we've been traveling well well before the pandemic to different markets to shoot and pitched against people who were local or who were new york or la or london based all over the place so it's not that i don't think the competition has gotten stiffer i think that when you fly out has changed a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That, that too. But I do think, I think competition has gotten stiffer because our other topic that we talked about shooting on the iPhone. I do think nowadays a production company can see someone on YouTube or an influencer. Like we've seen, mm -hmm. um, you know, articles about, Hey, I, on TikTok I did product videos and now I'm repped by mm -hmm. smuggler or whatever, some huge production company. Mm -hmm because they saw my videos. So now you're, you're not just against the other people that want to be commercial directors. You're up against um, everyone in the world that's making really cool visual work, uh, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok or TV or music videos. Um, and so it's a good thing because that's, we, you can get inspired by all, all this stuff too. Uh, but you know, as a commercial director, if you want to get signed by a company, you need to prove to them that there's something about mm -hmm. you that is just really interesting, that you're really easy to pitch. That like, oh, this person, look, look at this mm -hmm. video they made about this avocado. The, it's so And it's amazing. got so many views, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Well, well, I think that brings up the other point, though, right, is that um, the whole point of uh, film festivals or moving to L.A., um, all the things that you're kind of lamenting is like really we're talking about building relationships we're talking about networking and the internet has bypassed that in a couple ways but going viral or like having your reel online um, has facilitated and opened up the market in a way that's really good because not only is it um, that just democratizes things a little bit more basically so more people have access to the gatekeepers basically Um that being said, it's been a minute since you and I had to like truly break in. I don't know what I would do um, to break in if I did not live 
in a major market. And here's why. Uh, there are people out there who have a knack for making the things that are really flashy, really splashy, get a lot of attention. Stuff that's going to go viral, right? Um, stuff that's going to get shared around. And that's part of the job, but that's not all of the job, right? And so it's hard to plan on going viral. That can't be the only way that you build your resume. And so the other way that you do that is by meeting young producers and doing them a favor, working working your way up, PAing on something, making a friend, collaborating on a thing together and getting better and better incrementally step by step by step, right? Like if you're a genius and you can just like make cool stuff uh, in your dorm room or whatever, that's a awesome please go do that and i'm excited to see your work but i think that there are a lot of people who just need to take those baby steps and it's pretty hard to take those baby steps without other people to collaborate with basically and to show that to you know if you don't go viral but you still show your cool video your cool music video to your producer friend then they can say oh hey i'd love to help you out like let's let's make something else together or whatever you know and that doesn't take a hundred million views to get the right person's attention. Yeah. And I, I personally don't think you need to, that going viral matters at all. It's, it's helpful if someone's like, Oh, I've seen your thing before. Um, right. But to, to your point of like, how do you, how does a producer sell to their EPs? Oh, I think we should sign this person. I, I don't There's think a few it's different a, ways. Right? I, I honestly, I, I've evolved on this topic and I don't think mm-hmm. that view count like literally has anything to do with it or followers i think it's different if with an actor potentially um but i think i think that the the young filmmakers that you're describing though i think view count does have a lot to do with i think the view count helps them get discovered you know because other people will see them but i don't think in pitching i I honestly think the work does speak for itself. then we agree yeah but but i'm saying the discovery is is the thing that you're bypassing by moving to a major market right you're help you're helping meet people that you can show things to if you work in a place where there isn't any film community or it's just literally just like friends making videos together you can show them as many Mm -hmm. things as you want they're not gonna hire you to direct a nike commercial correct that yeah that's exactly my point like the work being equal right you know how, how do you connect with the people who can help elevate your yeah career. and there's also obviously there's a lot of past ways to being a working director uh probably the most obvious one is you write stuff and you make it and then it gets into film festivals or whatever people discover you and you get bigger jobs but the other one that a lot of us have done including myself is you crew on other people's shoots uh, whether it's in post whether it's in production like you said pa grip whatever produce right and if you are in a market where there's a lot of people doing that, it's just much, much easier to learn from great filmmakers when you're in this market. Uh, so yes, I, I, I think there's that, that value is undeniable, uh, from being mm-hmm. in a big market, but the value of the, and something that we've talked about on the podcast a lot of the, Hey, I just like walked down the street and I ran into this producer uh, that was with my friend and I mentioned that I had an idea about singing dogs and they were mm-hmm. like, oh, we're doing this musical streaming service. Like that thing that was so, that was that was to me the reason to be in LA, which is 
you get to meet all these people that are being creative and doing mm -hmm. cool things. In the days of COVID, I find it not really happening. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I wonder, uh, I agree, right? So that, that was my point of like, how the question of how do you get the work versus how do you do the work? Doing the work is remote and you're bummed out about it. How you get it is, is more complicated. Do you think though that some of our perspective is colored by the fact that we have kids? Because I think that we're both out and about less and more cautious because we have an unvaccinated person in our household and there are people who are living more socially than do you and I are at this current moment. I picked up dinner last night on my way home from the mm -hmm. shoot and um, there, the order wasn't ready. So I was like stuck there for like 20 minutes and I can't tell you how many freaking college kids were just like rolling up to my favorite Mexican place and just like, I don't know, probably 20 kids all, all I think maybe in the same party who were all going to like go meet on the patio together and like, you know, mask wearing was like, you know, clearly to be polite and like they were living their lives is what I'm getting at. And like certainly not all in the same household or whatever. Um, uh, and I was jealous. Anyway, uh, all of which is to say, Kyle, you know, 2022 uh, in major markets, New York and LA in particular, COVID's still a pretty rough situation for us. And so um, uh, circle back in six months. Uh, but in the meantime, do that work uh, and um, stay Yeah, safe. and no matter what, if you want to work as a commercial director, you need to show people that you can direct commercials regardless of where you live. Mm -hmm. And so to me, the focus should be way less on where you live and way more on what materials yeah. you can show. And if you don't feel like you have them, then make them, you know, like, yeah, if you, if you have an incredible reel, if you had six specs that look and feel like they should be on TV or under the best specs you've ever seen in your life, it doesn't matter where you yeah, live. Even if you had three, three of the best specs yeah. and one. Okay. Spec. <laughs> Real quick, I'm just going to read an email from another listener, Ryan Kindle, that is kind of related to this. We've kind of covered most of what he talked about, but I'm just going to I'm going to read it real quick. And he says that episode about a freelancer schedule, having kids and having an accountability group really resonated with me. I don't have much of a tribe when it relates to filmmaking. For me personally, I think a Patreon tier that is like a support or accountability group would be extremely helpful. An ongoing Discord or Slack group and maybe a monthly virtual hangout to discuss projects. Something specific to feature filmmaking would be great. Just hearing that other filmmakers are going after it is incredibly motivating. Um, and the thanks, Ryan, for that comment. I don't know that Matt and I have the bandwidth um, to set up like the Discord and Slack group and all that stuff. Uh, as we are barely, uh, barely handling our current like discord and Slack obligations. I like, I don't know about you, but I only use like the Slack web, web client. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I, I can't handle the all the office slacking. that I'm working with mostly now. The no one's, um, it's all text, but, uh, so, but I miss it actually. But I do Slack. think Ryan's comment is just like proof that that a lot of us in the film community and the arts and the creative community feel a little bit like we're in a vacuum. Like all we hear about is what's mm -hmm. like on deadline or Twitter or Facebook or whatever about mm -hmm. what is going on. And I know I, I'm, I think I said this two years ago when COVID started, but there's still this feeling of like 
disappointment that you're not doing as much as uh, everybody else is doing <laughs> from an yeah, from a, a creative doubt. standpoint. So I think even worse because we've been um, depressed for two years. Do you know what I mean? I think like the FOMO is always real, but I think adding just like a level of, uh, you know, arrested development that we're feeling because, you know, our career slowed down because things weren't shooting as much or whatever, you know, you're depressed and so you didn't get as much writing done as you wanted or your kids are at home and so you can't focus or all all of that stuff, I think, uh, that everybody is dealing with. I think artists have... um, you know, suffered from, and then, but then, but then also, unlike plenty of other artists, we have multiple websites telling us about how our friends just, you yeah, know, got nominated for Oscars, to, got an Oscar. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I hate those friends. Yeah, yeah. I I love uh, the combination of like when someone will brag about their friend who's nominated for an Oscar. And also I know that they are super depressed because of it as well. It's like a very funny combo to me that is uniquely Los Angeles, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a weird time, but, uh, but we'll make it through. I'm curious a year from now to listen back to this episode. I just think the last month has been kind of a bummer and it's like hard to plan your short film or your spec or, rework out your website and do all these things i had a short that was gonna go in march yeah um when like literally half of the commercial shoots i hear more than half are getting canceled because too many people are testing positive so um hopefully it's the beginning of the end you know i that's the Mm -hmm. version of the narrative that i am choosing to believe but i'm doubtful i think i think it is actually i truly think it is i think this is the beginning of the end and it's just a crappy um, it's the uh, it's always darkest before the dawn, Oren. Is it? Well, Matt, is there a high note we can end on? <laughs> I think uh, you want to hang out and endorse with me. Sure, I'll endorse. Unpaid endorsements. Um, so I've actually got a very apropos uh, endorsement that's going to tie it all together. Are you a? a a righteous gemstones fan, or honestly, I my wife loves it, and we tried. We I went to Palm Springs over the weekend just to get away, and we tried to watch it last night in the dark while both of our kids were like sleeping, you know, next to us or like around us, mm-hmm. trying to not wake them up. Which, by the way, it's actually wouldn't be a bad endorsement, but you know, you can connect two sets of AirPods to your MacBook. To one uh, MacBook. I did know that, and that is legitimately cool, especially for circumstances like you're describing. Yeah, so we could yeah, watch it together. Cool. And we that's were great. watching season two, episode one, mm-hmm. 15 minutes in. I was oh, you completely knocked out. And my Bro. wife, like episode three, I guess there's some funny scene about a Tesla or something. And she's just like cracking up so loud. I I don't know why I can't stay awake. Boy, I love, <laughs> I love that show. I love that show. Um, it is created by Danny McBride, who also stars on the show. And it's... Mm-hmm the third HBO show that, you know, he and David Gordon Green and Jody Hill have made together. The other two being Vice Principals and um, Eastbound and Down. Anyway. Uh, Foot Fist Way? Oh, no, that's Foot Fist not... Way is their, their indie film that they oh, shot right, right. back yes, home yes. Um, and uh, kind of launched their careers because um, uh, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay saw it and became obsessed with it. Um, but those right. guys are all, uh, they all, they're all film school buddies who came out to L.A. and 
Danny McBride had like a big Hollywood movie career. He was like making stuff with, uh, you know, um, uh, Seth Rogen and all those guys. And, you know, he's in Tropic Thunder. He's in uh, Apatow movies and all of that stuff. Um, and he tends to play these kind of like big, dumb, crass guys. I heard an interview uh, from 2019 on that show, Good One, that I've talked about on this show before. That's the Vulture Comedy Podcast where they talk to comedians about their process, basically. And they talk about the Righteous Gemstones. And it's just a really awesome interview. That's my endorsement. But it uh, illuminates a few things. One, he's super smart. Danny McBride is so smart, so thoughtful, um, and just kind of explains all of the ways in which his work is rooted in truth and how he comes up with surprising stories and how he's not confined by genre and that he's trying to constantly sort of surprise people and figure things out and it just it was like such a good reinvigorating interview and also he lived in LA for 20 years moved to Charleston just recently oh really and so uh he's living the dream man you know makes movies with his best friend or tv shows with his best friends every summer or whatever um, and just gets to make the the wildest, weirdest stuff. And I think he is genuinely underappreciated. He's truly a genius. And uh, if you're not watching Righteous Gemstones, get on it. But that show is is rooted in ideas and themes that are big and relatable, even though it's so absurd and so heightened. It's essentially like a family comedy, you know, about loss and and patriarchy and belief and all of that other stuff too. But um. Yeah, I really love it. So my endorsement is uh, the Danny McBride interview on Good One. Uh, Oren, what you got, buddy? I got two bad ones. First one is a very annoying one, but uh, if you have ever thought of getting a Tesla, you should pre-order it now. (laughs) Do you know that it takes, (laughs) if you order it now, it will take like almost a year for you to get it. Oh, Um, boy. Is that because of the general car shortage or is that still going is that over i don't i know that it was hard to buy a car there for a minute yeah so it's that the two it's all the shortages but also just tesla being Mm -hmm. tesla's being so in demand because they literally are the best car like ever made not from a production quality Mm -hmm. level but from a just like it's just like a different experience in a pretty vehicle yeah yeah um but if you want one, then you only have to put down a $250 deposit to save it. And then you'll get it like a year from now. And um, if even if the price goes up, you don't have to pay the extra money. But the other thing and the reason it's like a general endorsement is if you don't even want the car, the odds of you being able to sell it for way more than you paid for it are oh, like so high right now. Any used Tesla of any version I'm not mm. sure about the S, but the three, the Y, the X, you can sell a used one for 10% more than a new one costs uh, because they're so in demand. So so you're if saying you're, if I put $250 down now that I could just resell it if I didn't want it in yeah. a year. That's yeah. interesting. Like, I, I mean, you would, what if I were you, I would get like the most, um, like the one that most people would want, like a model Y. A, a popular one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not like in a weird color, just like the, yeah. all the base colors. Yeah, and yeah. What happens if I can't sell it? Like you can't return a car, right? Well, you can just not take it, the car from Tesla. You lose mm-hmm. the 250 bucks. You can try to transfer your your reservation, but I think 
that's like a little hard to do. But like right now, if I go to, if there's this website, Carvana, do you know about that? Mm-hmm. I do. If you go to uh, Carvana and you just search for Model Y, I mean, I know, I'm sure a lot of people, every, like a lot of a lot of our listeners know this already. So I apologize to you. But if you look for a Tesla Model Y, like the cheapest one you can find is like basically like $60,000 and you can buy your own for way mm-hmm. less than that. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, if that's that if it's something that you've been thinking it's about. It's interesting. Roll, roll the dice a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. It's a $60,000 gamble, it sounds like. But, uh. but if it's something where you're like, at the end of this year, I'm going to get one. Then you need to on it like seriously reserve seriously it today. Seriously, get it, get it now. Huh, um, that's so funny. My other one, which is an equally lame uh, endorsement, just to because. To be fair, Orn, uh, I am thinking about buying a new car, but I didn't want to buy one during the shortage and am not driving a ton. I might think about that. Yeah, don't sell I mean, your endorsements short, man. It's uh yeah I don't know that one that one's a cool one also I'm sure I've mentioned it before but if you're into leasing like lease hacker I know you love leasing lease hacker h a c k r dot com is like the best place to figure out the best deal um, but my other endorsement is someone that probably everyone knows um, her name is Julie Nolke do you know who she is she's a comedian no, no. she made a very viral video about her visiting herself from the future oh um, yes I do know explaining that. the yes. pandemic to my yeah. past self. Yes. Uh, it has 20 million views on YouTube. Uh, Nolke, N-O-L-K-E is her last name. But I don't know if you know this, but there's six parts. She keeps making, she keeps updating the videos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I caught up on all of them and they're all really good. I mean, she's funny in general. She had like, she has a lot of other videos that are funny, but her explaining the pandemic to my past self are funny, are really funny. And she matches her wardrobe like her past self wardrobe to the previous future mm. self. Mm-hmm. It's like really clever if you like watch them all in a row. Like in the one that just came out four days ago, she like, this is a spoiler, but she reveals like that Betty White's like no longer alive. <laughs> in each video, the past self is like, we got out of this, right? Everything's fine. Yeah. The world is normal again. And it's just like every time it's just worse than before. <laughs> Anyhow, Julie Nolke. Check out her explaining the pandemic to my past self series. So good. So funny. But that's it. Hey, we did it, Oren. We did um, it. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we we usually get an email every once in a while that's like, hey, I moved to LA thanks to you guys. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I wonder if anyone will be like, I stayed in my hometown thanks to you guys. I just, uh, uh, I'm repped uh, internationally with this huge company. Yeah. I almost got this amazing job, but they told me I had to live in LA. <laughs> Uh, anyhow, thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Just shoot it pod at gmail.com. Uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod at the $15 level. You get a free, just shoot it hat, which is very cool. I'm mailing a couple tomorrow, which is Tuesday because the post office is closed today. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. Uh, and you can follow us across all social media at Just Shoot It Pod and me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And I'm at O. Kaplan on Instagram. I'm at Smitey Pileg on Twitter. Uh, feel free to leave us an iTunes review. Tell someone about the podcast. Help us spread the word. It's only been 45 years since we started this thing. It would be nice to get some new listeners. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But uh, seriously, folks, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.